with the war in Ukraine, uh, one of the major things that's been asked is basically what can uh, Zelensky, the prime minister of Ukraine, do? He's done pretty much everything a leader can do from running from foxhole to foxhole, giving press conferences under fire, making statements from his office, even though he knows that section of the city is being targeted by the Russians. He's pretty much done everything you can expect a leader to do in 17 days of war and an invasion that has come down on his city. He's been more Churchillian than Churchill, uh, standing on the front lines. Okay, there's been some propaganda in there. They released photos saying that he was in the fighting when actually they're photos from a few months ago, but that photo was also taken at the front lines. So it was just from the earlier front lines and earlier fighting in disputed territory. Um, essentially, there's been a war going on in this area for the last eight years. Many different leaders have been coming in. There have been many ceasefires. There have been many, many movements back and forth with the Russians over it. Russia has actually chopped off a section of territory, uh, Crimea, and uh, has annexed it or, or, or claimed it as their own. You know, didn't pay for it, didn't do anything. They just kind of came in like squatters and took it over. It's gone. But now Israel, or rather the Israeli prime minister, not Israel as a whole, but the prime minister, you know, the guy who replaced Nidhi, um, comes out and says, you know what, maybe it's time for you to think about surrender. Surrender? <laughs> Can you imagine? When an Israeli prime minister, uh, one of the toughest countries in the world that's used to it's used to endless conflict, comes out and says, it may be time to surrender. You might want to listen. Will Zelensky listen? Hard to say. But the Jerusalem Post is reporting this, and they're a pretty reliable newspaper in Israel. J Post have been uh, pretty accurate on most of the stuff they report. And generally speaking, when they come out with something, you generally want to listen at least to what's being said. I'll let the the, uh, reader voice for the Jerusalem Post read the rest of the article. Prime Minister Naftali Bennett told Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky that he recommends Ukraine take the offer made by Russian President Vladimir Putin to end the war, which includes many Ukrainian sacrifices, in a phone call on Tuesday, according to an official in Ukraine's government. Just a quick word from our sponsor. New message. What up, what up? It's Heather's cousin. You dated her in college, or maybe you were just in the same class. Anyway, I heard you bought a boat, my man. Let's hit the water. Oh, and Heather told me you always liked uh, snacks and stuff, so I could totally bring some chips. When you get a boat, you also get new friends. Make sure Progressive's one of them, and get coverage today for as little as $100 a year. Hey, also, I'm a little short on cash, so can you cover the chips? Thanks. I can see why Heather liked you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states. According to the official, Zelensky did not take Bennett's advice. The source claimed that the phone call was initiated by Bennett. If I were you, I would think about the lives of my people and take the offer, Bennett reportedly said. Zelensky's response was short, I hear you, he said. According to the report, the Ukrainian president and his people did not like the advice. Bennett told us to surrender, said the official. We have no intention of doing so. We know Putin's offer is only the beginning. Prime Minister Naftali Bennett arrives for a cabinet meeting at the Prime Minister's office in Jerusalem on Sunday, on the heels of his talks in Moscow and Berlin. Credit, Ronan Zavulun slash Reuters. In the past two weeks, and especially since Bennett's visit to Moscow, 
The Prime Minister's office and the Foreign Ministry have been claiming that Israel's mediation efforts forced them to keep an even more cautious and balanced approach. This message was also passed quietly to Zelensky's office. The official also said that Israel asked Ukraine not to request more military and defense aid because such a request could harm the mediation efforts. According to the official, however, Zelensky's office isn't seeing results from the mediation. He said that Bennett isn't mediating so much as functioning as a mailbox and just passing messages between the two sides. According to him, a mediator needs to try to put together a compromise between the two sides and make his own offers. We don't need a mailbox, said the official. We have enough of those. If Bennett wants to be neutral and mediate, we would expect to see him appoint someone to work on it day and night and try to get a compromise. Ukrainian official. Basically, you get the picture. That's exactly what, uh, you know, they want people to think, which is to, you know, not carry on with the fighting. Um, at least that is the offer that was raised by Israel to uh, the situation in the Ukraine, to the Ukrainian leader during the conversations. Now, obviously, when you, you know, you're looking at these reports, you have to also take all reporting that comes out in a conflict as uh, slanted one way or another. Could be a trial balloon. It could be reactions from the U Ukrainians who don't want to listen to Israel's advice because they feel Israel is getting too close to Russia. Um, there may be any number of reasons uh, for it, uh, you know, and, and, and that position. Just because it's Israel doesn't mean, uh, you know, they, you know, they end all and uh, do all of, of everything. Uh, you do have, uh, you do have major considerations to look at meanwhile we'll be back with more on the price of oil and other things as we listen to what Jen Psaki has to say in her own piece with no questions asked yes usually when you see something like this you kind of worry Jane Psaki is blaming Putin for everything Rising gas prices, inflation, the fact she can't get a date on Thursday, you know, all these weird things. Uh, it's just it. Saki is being sucky again. Part of this is on the oil companies. Right now, there are 9,000 approved unused permits. That so, wait a minute. She, she's blaming the oil companies for there not being enough supply of oil. And that is basically like saying, to somebody who has control of all the dope in an area, you know what? Uh, you can sell it at whatever price you want, so long as it's higher. So basically, they're not really making it equitable for these energy companies to reduce prices. Uh, they're taxing them out of existence. They're regulating them out of whatever. She claims they have 9,000 new drilling permits but the vast majority of those drilling permits, guess what, Ms. Saki? Uh, they don't exist in areas where there is oil, is what the oil companies and energy sector people are saying. Many of the drilling permits are just that, permits to drill. Do you know how many wells it takes to drill to find oil or natural gas? Off the west coast of Palauan, I remember in the 1970s going to the 1990s, it took them literally 20 years and thousands of wells drilled off the west coast of Palawan. 
to find a total of the 18 producing wells that exist that form the Kamagu uh, Chevron oil field that provides about 3,000 megawatts of power to uh, Luzon and uh, also produces some excess natural gas and a little bit of oil for the Philippines. So that's one example for you. Of that, it took about 30,000 wells drilled over 20 years. Yes, and with that many drill holes put down and not all of them were fully drilled with pipes. Some of them are what, what are called initial core tests where they literally would just go down, punch a hole in, pull up the pipe, take a look at what's in the sediment, see what's there and whoop, okay, this probably doesn't have anything move another mile down range and go again and again and again. And they do this over a wide area. They also put down explosives into some of these drill holes. And then from there, see if uh, through seismic testing, uh, by letting off that explosion, they can do a, a, a sample core test and find out what exactly exists down below. Let's listen to more what uh, Sucky Saki has to say. The oil and gas companies could tap into now to ramp up production. Uh, unfortunately, tap into ramp up production from the time you drill a hole to the time it produces is longer than it takes to drill something else and produce. I mean, in some things you drill a hole and put something in there and you get something in nine months. But in the case of oil, it can be years. The only way to protect the United States over the long term is to become energy independent. That's why the president has been so focused on investing in clean energy technologies so that we can... Wait, wait, wait a minute. Energy independent, but most of the batteries and most of the solar panels are going to be made in China. Rely on that and not President Putin to set the price of gas. We'll be back with more. Ain't a bit. Just keep it here on Mike of New York. On March 6th, the United States had basically, along with France and the UK, said to Ukraine that they were not going to stand in the way of a transfer of aircraft from Poland to the Ukraine. Uh, this would have been about 27 MiG-29s. And so long as it was Poland sending it over to the Ukraine, then there wouldn't have been a problem. Now. That was on March 6th. It took them a while, and the Polish were basically worried that uh, hearing Russian rumblings, what would it mean if uh, the planes were transferred, for example, through a third party, so that it wasn't a direct transfer from Poland to uh, the the uh, people, the Ukrainian Air Force, right? And uh, they were worried about the ramifications of that. Also, that's 27 aircraft that the Poles still use. You know, um, this is part of their active air force. And they wanted replacements. And, and so the United States initially, in the green light and, and on, on March 6th, said that they, they would transfer, transfer over uh, 20 F-16s that the U.S. had um, been using for training from the Air National Guard units, uh, from, from other sources, uh, Probably even from the boneyard, they would have. They would have. Uh, the boneyard is, of course, the uh, uh, parking lot where uh, U.S. planes not in use are, are stored in in, uh, in uh, uh, Arizona, and it just it mushroomed out of control. Everybody's asking about it. What happened here? And uh, 
at the end of the day, uh, it was suddenly uh, completely strange to many people that what had been authorized to be transferred was suddenly no longer available. In fact, the Pentagon just said on Thursday that it might be misconstrued as a, a provocation by Russia. Now, the press corps, of course, in the U.S. Senate had a different view. There's no free choices here. But, but uh, James Lankford is absolutely right. This is a free country uh, who depended on us, gave up their nuclear weapons because we said we'd be there with you, and we have an obligation to stand with them now. There's risk, no question about it. Um, I don't think the Russians um, want to see these MiGs because they know they would be harmful to their effort. That's the reason they're making such noise about this. I would go back to the Budapest Agreement of 1994 as well. We made an agreement, a written promise to the Ukrainian people, as did Russia, that we would defend them if they gave up their nuclear arsenal. They did that. We need to do absolutely everything we can to make sure that they are defending their sovereign land. And in just the half hour that we have been up here, we have lost more Ukrainians. I guarantee that. And we're not talking about their soldiers. We're talking about innocent women and children, babies, innocent men that are on the street because they don't have the capability to, to, to defend themselves as they choose to defend themselves because we are not living up to the agreement that we signed in 1994. So if, Russia would decide to come after the United States, that trips Article 5. Talking about this specific question, um, the best information we have, um, and it may not be entirely accurate, but is that they had about 37 MiG-29s when they started. Um, so we don't know how many they have now. Because some of so basically this is what the Republican members of the Senate are complaining about, that what had been agreed to and trust me, these senators are in the loop. You know, they have briefings, uh, formulations, armed services committees, uh, oversight committees, and whatever, are, are usually in the loop when uh, the Defense Department brings out something. And then to suddenly go 180 degrees and say, no, no, we're not going to allow this, uh, it just creates more problems. So uh, these, is the, these are Republican senators uh, reacting to the Pentagon decision to renege on an earlier agreed to aid program for the people in Ukraine. We've been shot down. Um, and this notion that they're not flying all of them at once, of course they're not. I mean, you would want to conserve some in reserve if you didn't know what was going to happen. But if you knew you had another 29 MiGs coming in to back you up, you'd be much more likely to fly a few more sorts. That's what I'm hearing from military experts. And it makes sense to me. Oh, no, here he comes, Lindsey Graham. Uh, what's he going to say this time? Sometimes this guy can be an absolute jerk. If this was a problem, why was it okay for Poland to give them the jets? <laughs> These guys are spouting garbage. You know, you beat us up all the time. We probably deserve it half the time. You've got to go after this. Just look at what they're saying. 
uh, they don't need more jets because they're not using the ones they've got. If we send them more jets, they may actually be more effective. This makes zero sense. And on March the 6th, four days ago, we green-lighted a transfer of MiGs by Poland to the Ukrainian Air Force. Nobody suggested then they don't need them, right? Now, all of a sudden, if we do what we were allowing Poland to do with our fingerprints on it, we're creating World War III. This makes zero sense, and I want to tell the American people, to your question, what if he gets away with this? What if Putin was able to go in and destroy the Ukraine, Ukraine, a democracy, and gets away with it, and we don't do all we can to help Ukrainians? I'm not asking for no-fly zone yet. I'm not asking to send ground troops. But the other side of the story is true, too. If he gets away with this, do you think he'll stop? Do you think this is all he wants? Roger made a good point yesterday. Hitler said, give me the Sudetenland, I'll stop. Well, he was lying. Putin's saying, I'm not going to stop. So to the American people, you figured this out better than administration does. If you look at Poland, the American people want to stop Putin now in the Ukraine, and they want to help the Ukrainians as much as they can. So, you know, when you when you look at this, one of, one of the classic situations here also that a lot of people tend to forget is that much of the success in defending itself Ukraine has been having is has been from the delivery of uh, about a dozen or so um, drone aircraft or UCAPs. These are armed drones, right? And uh, they've been doing very successful with, with fighting off the, the, the Russians uh, with these. But unfortunately, those drones are, are easily shot down, uh, you know, uh, and, and that's why they are the way they are. They are UCAPs. They are remotely piloted armed vehicles that carry rockets, anti-tank missiles, that type of thing. But they do have limited use. Once you put them in an offensive situation, these things only move at about 80, 90 miles an hour. So if you don't have the right kind of air defense, uh, the Russians literally could go up in a helicopter and shoot them down. On March 6th, the United States is basically along with France and the UK, said to Ukraine that they were not going to stand in the way of a transfer of aircraft from Poland to the Ukraine. Uh, this would have been about 27 mid-29s. And so long as it was Poland sending it over to the Ukraine, then there wouldn't have been a problem. Now, that was on March 6th. It took them a while. And the Polish were basically worried that uh, hearing Russian rumblings, what would it mean if uh, the planes were transferred, for example, through a third party, so that it wasn't a direct transfer from Poland to uh, the the uh, people, the Ukrainian Air Force, right? And uh, they were worried about the ramifications of that. Also, that's 27 aircraft that the Poles still use. You know, um, this is part of their active air force. And they wanted replacements. And, and so the United States initially, when the green light in, on, on March 6th, said that they, they would transfer, transfer over uh, 20 F-16s that the U.S. had um, been using for training from the Air National Guard units, uh, from, from other sources, uh, Probably even from the boneyard, they would have. They would have. Uh, the boneyard is, of course, the uh, uh, parking lot where uh, U.S. planes not in use are, are stored in in, uh, in uh, 
uh, Arizona. And it just, it mushroomed out of control. Everybody's asking about it. What happened here? And uh, at the end of the day, uh, it was suddenly uh, completely strange to many people that what had been authorized to be transferred was suddenly no longer available. In fact, the Pentagon just said on Thursday that it might be misconstrued as uh, a provocation by Russia. 